Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Leveraging Generative AI with Darren Pulsifer, your host. Today, I decided to do kind of a monologue. It's been a long time since I have, but there's such a great topic out there on generative AI, and I kind of want to give a little primer on what is generative AI and some of the use cases that we see around it. And we'll also be talking a little bit today about some of the pitfalls of generative AI and um, how to negotiate those pitfalls. So let's dive right in. When we first talk about generative AI, it really is simple. It means to generate something from something else. Now, most of the time when we think of generative AI, we're thinking of taking text and creating more texts. Um, and ChatGPT actually made this very available to everyone. In fact, it was November 30th, 2022, when ChatGPT 3.5 launched and it took over the world. Lots of students were using it to write essays. Lots of people were doing, uh, using it to write emails more effectively. In less than a year, we've seen this explode, and the use cases around using generative AI are just extraordinary. But it's not just taking text and creating text. I can take text and create images and video and even audio now. And I can also take images and text together and create text. Describe me this image. Or I can create other images or videos or audios. The really cool thing about generative AI, especially these really large language models, like what we have from OpenAI with ChatGPT or um, Anthropic's Claude or Google's Bard, um, and Bing uses OpenAI's on the, on the back end, is I can bring um, content into the AI it can now generate new content coming out. And that's really cool when you think about it. But let's take a look at some of the use cases. How can I really use this technology? If I look at some of the use cases, let's just focus on text to text. If I give you a, a Gen AI text, what text is coming out on the other end? Well, there's, we've broken this into three categories. I can do content, content creation. I can do summarization and then evaluation. So let's talk a, a little bit about content creation. So we're already seeing a lot of use cases in this around creating blog posts, uh, product descriptions, social media posts, uh, communication enhancement. For example, gotta send an email to my boss about a really sensitive subject. Why not use ChatGPT to help me put that in the right um, framework so that I'm not um, being offensive, or that I can dance around this very sensitive issue in the most appropriate way. It can give you a lot of um, help with that communication. Another thing that we can look at is we can look at um, automate, automating uh, article generation. Now, we've already seen some news outlets move in this direction where they're trying out um, uh, ways of feeding some information into a Gen AI and it creating an article uh, for me at different grade levels. So I can target a news story 
to um, kids in elementary school, high school, and, and college, and, and so forth. So it's really, really cool. Another um, uh, useful one, and I've seen lots of people talk about this one, is translation services. Now, in my podcast, Embracing Digital, this week, which is my newscast that I produce that comes out at the beginning of the week, I decided a long time ago that I would produce these little articles um, and I would translate them into some of the more popular languages in the podcast world. And I do that with this text-to-text. I take the English and it translates into German, French, Portuguese, Spanish, and Italian. Uh, so that's pretty cool. It takes minimal amount of time and costs pennies to, to do this, where before it costs hundreds of dollars moving into a translation service. Now, another really good uh, use case for text-to-text is summarization. So let's say I've got a lot of content that I created this month, and I want to create a newsletter. I can create newsletters. I can summarize internal documents. Um, we're starting to see lawyers starting to use generative AI to summarize really complex legal documents. Um, I can review literature. I can do SEO optimization for content on my blog, like, hey, summarize, uh, give me three sentences of what this blog post says and generate some SEO keys for that, some search engine optimization keys. Boom, it'll spit those out for me. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty impressive um, and uh, increasing uh, the speed there. Another great thing on text-to-text is for chatbots for like customer support. I can get the sentiment of the person sending me a message. I can then route them to the appropriate customer support um, engineer, whatever the case may be. And that fits into the next one, which is evaluation, where I'm evaluating and summarizing uh, content. It could be a customer call uh, or customer chat, um, any of those things. I can do evaluation of um, essays at school. My daughter uses this at school. She says it's super cool. She wrote up um, an essay for her, her econ class, and she had the rubric there. And she said, evaluate my essay based on the rubric. Oh, my goodness. She loves it. It's helped her and do much better in school. Make sure that she's actually um, doing what her professors want her to do. We can also use evaluation to evaluate really large log files, searching for patterns or searching for anomalies and things like that. And I can also look at the status of the current environment um, by uh, getting texts coming in and giving me an idea of what's going on in the world today. So there's some use cases around text to text. If you have any additional ideas, go ahead and comment on this blog, on uh, the podcast or on the video feed. Um, We want to hear more use cases around text to text. But let's move on to the next one. This one's actually really exciting. It is the text to audio. Now, this one's really cool because we're starting to see a lot of uses for this. For example, I've, um, uh, some of my kids have dyslexia, always had a hard time reading, are slow readers, and we're falling behind in school. Some of this text to audio has unleashed their education because now they can listen to their textbooks where before 
they would struggle to read through them because of their um, handicap that they have, uh, their learning disability. So this has really um, included them more in the learning. Also think about text to audio for podcasting, audio content creation, automated customer support, navigation and directions. We've already seen some of that um, with like uh, Google Maps and uh, Waze and things like that. Entertainment and gaming. Language translation. If I have... Uh, if I go text to text from English to Spanish, and then that Spanish text, I can create audio for that. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. Um, there's lots of really interesting use cases that we can look at in this text to audio that should be explored uh, to really um, get more content out to more people, including training, proofreading, uh, museum um, exhibits and tours. Uh, there, it, it really starts um, making content more accessible to more people. Now, another really interesting one, and this one, this one, this one I play around with a little bit. It's still very nascent, and it's text to video. So I can give a Gen AI some text, and it will create a video for me. Now, there's two different things that happen here. One is where it's creating real, uh, videos from scratch and being very creative. Another one that I've recently seen, which I think is actually probably even better right now, is it has stored a bunch of video clips, like 10-second um, or 5-second clips um, that are tagged. So if I send in a, a text script for a blog or something like that, and I want to turn it into a video, it then goes through the list of um, video clips that it has and ties those together into a nice video. I think that one's actually pretty cool and very useful today. The pure generated uh, videos are still a little funky. They're still, uh, uh, they still need some work. Let's just put it that way. Um, but they can help me out with so many different use cases. For example, training and learning, e-learning, um, helping someone. Uh, I know we all go to YouTube to look at things. But wouldn't it be great if I could uh, train, I have a, a manual on how to fix a car, right? And what if I could take that text, um, give it some images as well, and then feed it into a video where it would show me step-by-step -step what to do automatically. I could do this on the fly for really complex um, fixes. Um, so that, that, one's actually, that one's actually pretty cool. Um, a lot of advertising and marketing um, can be used in these cases. Like I said, in this one, the text to video is still a little young, still not quite completely there, but something most definitely to watch for. And I know this was a big deal for a lot of the people in um, Hollywood and the strikes are around um, a generative AI and how that might displace people. Um, it has a ways to go, but it could move pretty quick. So. Uh, this is one to, to watch for sure. Now, the one and probably the most fun and, and because it's pretty mature now is the text to image. We're seeing a lot of this right now. Um, this one I think is actually pretty cool because I can, I can give it a description of something and it does a pretty good job at creating images. And these are uh, tools uh, that exist out there today uh, that are usable today. 
we're starting to see people already use them in like educational materials, marketing and advertising, web design, fashion design, uh, scientific visualization, geographic scenes. I can, um, uh, Adobe's got this really cool thing, Firefly, which we talked about in an episode before, where I can take my picture, put me on a beach, put me in front of a volcano, um, wherever wherever I want. It's actually pretty cool and somewhat scary too. Let's be true um, to this. I can doctor images to um, uh, deep fakes, uh, both videos and images, and that could cause some problems, especially uh, with uh, the political environment that we're in today. This could be uh, something to watch out for. Um, we're also seeing people generate children's books with text to image. I do um, product mockups, art generation, architectural design, interior design. And we're also seeing something really cool. It's like a text to 3D world, something Intel developed, where I can just give it text and it starts generating 3D um, worlds for uh, VR and um, augmented reality as well. So that's a, a real quick overview of the the text to image and, and text to text and text to video and text to audio, what I have found it actually really is I can build new solutions by combining these different types of models together. So I already mentioned my Embracing Digital This Week podcast. Um, I actually use a lot of AI to generate that podcast in multiple languages. And this one's actually really simple. What I do is I write the script for the week. I read that script in English. I then convert that script, the text, to the different languages that I have. And then I have cloned my own voice um, using a voice cloner. Um, and there's plenty of free ones out there. You can look at Speechify or Eleven Plan, And um, you can... Now clone your own voice, and then I have it generate uh, the podcast or the news in those different languages. And it does a really good job. I have to go and clean up things a little bit here and there. I always listen to it. I'm not 100% trusting in it yet, but it's pretty darn close. Can't wait till I can fully trust it. It'll save me time when I'm generating my podcast. Uh, so that's a really interesting one, and I can see... We're making more content more available to more people. There are more and more languages that are being developed, um, both in the text-to-text -text and in text-to-audio. Text-to-text is way far ahead of like text-to-audio, or um, that's that's coming along, and um, uh, it's it's actually very exciting. Another really interesting thing that I can do is I can do like maintenance um, training or maintenance augmentation to help someone that's working on a car or an airplane or a ship, whatever the case may be. These are very complex and there's a lot of knowledge that's in several documents. And if I can combine that text um, with other text and then create videos from that, that could, that could be uh, very valuable, especially if I can get um, telemetry off of or text about the current state of your car? What if your car could feed into a Gen AI and then it creates a video for me to know exactly what to fix? That would be super cool. So here you can see I'm combining 
different AIs together to create new solutions. So this sounds like a utopia. There's a lot of really cool things out there, but you got to be worried about some things. But one of the things you need to worry about is what I call operating modalities of generative AI, which means where is the generative AI sit? Where is it learning? Now, there's three different types that we have here. We've got public, private, and community. A public gen AI uses general knowledge and they interact with the general public. So they have scanned the internet. They are continually being updated by people interacting with them. And because of that, you get the general knowledge of everyone out there. So when you share information with a public gen AI, it now has that information and it's using that to build up models. And there are some things you got to worry about, like if you have anything secret you don't want to share with everyone else, um, you don't share it on a public gen AI because that is now part of the model. Now, to combat that, people are starting to create private gen AIs. With the release of Llama 2, I can create my own Gen AI. It's already been trained with a really good uh, large model. And now I can fine tune that myself. Um, the data stays with me. It's running on my premises. No one else is getting that data. But that, that model will start behaving closer and closer to who I am. I'm not going to get all of the general knowledge that's out there anymore unless I feed it to it. So. On that private one, uh, more protection, but also the learning is limited to its interaction with you and your organization. Then there's this new one that we're starting to see develop right now. Um, we're seeing it developed in communities like in healthcare, in law. We're starting to see some legal gen AI and some healthcare gen AI. This is where people in the profession are interacting with it. It's grabbing data from that profession, from people interacting with it, and it's a way to share data across that community. Very cool stuff. Um, and I think it's going to elevate um, the professionalism in those communities over time. Now, there's also different ways of managing Gen AI models, right? Almost every model you have out there is already pre-trained. I've dumped tons of data in there. They've been pre-trained to some point. So now, I, how do I fine-tune that model to, uh, to get the, produce what I want it to? One area that we're seeing a big growth in right now is called prompt engineering. It's how do I ask the genetic questions and how do I lead it along to get to what I want? And there's some great podcasts out there on prompt engineering. Um, just search for generative AI podcasts and prompt engineering. You'll find some. And we'll have some here on our podcast in the near future, right? Then there's prompt optimization. This is where I'm going to optimize my prompts to um, target uh, the speed or accuracy or more um, creativity. And I can do that through some, um, uh, the way that I ask the questions and, and things like that. It can be kind of difficult to learn how to interact with uh, Gen AIs. Each one's a little bit different. So this one takes a little bit more training, um, but getting it to per perform exactly the way you want uh, takes some time. 
Then there's something called fine-tuning. Every Gen AI model has these parameters to play around with um, to be more creative, be faster on the response, be uh, less creative. There's lots of different things I can play around with. This requires access to the model a lot of times, and it also can um, include parameters that you pass in uh, through like uh, uh, application interface, like an API to um, um, uh, manipulate your prompts and, and how they're coming out. The last one on managing Gen AI models is reinforced learning. So this is, I wanna change the way the model is going to react. I need to pump lots of data into it. For example, if I'm training my own Llama 2 model, um, I would do, uh, and I want it to be um, an expert in law, then I'm gonna feed it more and more cases every day. Um, so that it becomes more and more proficient in in the law. Uh, so that's that's one example of reinforced learning. It's also interacting with with the AI, telling it it's wrong when it answers a question. It it requires time and effort. Okay, there are lots of opportunities in generative AI, especially in the public sector, as we've already kind of talked a little bit. Um, image and video analysis. Is, is, a, is a good one. I see an image, what is really going on here? I can use it for cyber threat detection. I can use uh, natural language processing and multilingual communication. When I presented this to public libraries, they were like, oh, we need this so badly. We have so many people coming in that can barely speak English and we can't communicate with them very well unless we have got someone on staff that speaks what they speak. Um, we need a way of translating a lot of our materials on what is the library and how do we service all these people that are um, coming in that we can't communicate with. This is a great, uh, a great uh, tool for that. We also see it for um, natural language user interface. Instead of a complex screen, now I can talk to my application. It can imply what I mean and then respond back and interact with me. Very cool stuff in that space. And then also, I'm seeing people starting to use Gen AI to do brainstorming and discovery and research. Uh, very interesting uh, uses there. Now, this all sounds like a utopia, and it does. It's, it's really cool, right? There are so many new things that can happen in, there, in, in this uh, new world of Gen AI, including enhanced awareness of what's really going on on data, increased operational efficiency, reduced human workload, work as hard as we're done, improved decision-making as I've got some... And I can bounce the Adafa, the Gen AI, I can have it take different personas, and, and have it argue with itself, really cool stuff. But there's also some risk. And uh, this is where we've, we've got to really figure this out. And we're already starting to see, as a society, we're starting to figure this out. And our um, governments across the world are, start, are getting concerned about some of the things around Gen AI. Um, what I'm going to talk about today specifically are things that you need to watch out for when you're using generative AI. So I'm going to focus on three specific things, but we'll talk slightly about the others. 
So the first one is ethics. What are the ethics around generative AI, right? I've got issues with privacy because I'm giving it my data. And let's say I have a healthcare, um, a healthcare gen AI. Am I going to give it HIPAA data? Am I going to give it personal information to the gen AI? I, if I don't give it any information, it can't learn anything. So I need to give it some information. So there's data privacy we have to deal with. There's legal and regulatory. As these laws are changing constantly, just this last week, um, the White House produced a memo on AI ethics. So I've got to understand what those are, and they're changing. I have to comply with other laws that are out there, like HIPAA or um, GDPR or California's privacy. Like, there's lots of things out there. And then if generative AI is generating something, and that something turns out to be bad advice or a bad, um, whatever the case may be, a bad product, how, who's liable for that? I, can I make a Gen AI liable? So there's, there's some legal questions down here, but we're not going to focus on those five. I'm going to focus on these three. Bias, accountability, and data leakage. So let's first talk about bias. The first thing you need to understand about generative AI is they're not creating new data from scratch. They're all trained with data sets. So a generative AI can only produce things that it knows. So for example, if I train my generative AI with a bunch of images, and they're images of Barbie and Van Gogh, and I say, hey, I want you to create an aircraft for me. What is that aircraft going to look like? It's probably going to be pink because Barbie's all about pink, right? It's probably going to be very um, abstract in some, in some respects, very colorful. Probably not the best thing you want for a fighter jet, for example. So bias is real and understanding how your gen AI was trained is really important because if you know what data it was trained with and what guardrails were established, then you're going to know it's bias when you ask it questions, right? For example, the first gen AI that came out from OpenAI was um, they just grabbed everything off the internet and dumped it in there. And it was horrible because there's a lot of really bad stuff out there on the internet. When they got to uh, ChatGPT 3 and 3.5, they had curated the data. They got rid of things that they felt were offensive, and um, the model was behaving much better. It wasn't um, giving a bunch of garbage responses or offensive responses as, as it was in the, in the past. So understanding how the data was trained and what data was left out is an important aspect. And understanding that Gen AI, Gen AI is bias. Just understand it is bias. Okay? So that, that's bias. Another thing to be worried about is accountability and trust. So how trustworthy, and I already mentioned this a little bit, I'm not completely trustworthy um, that my audio um, to... Um, different languages, my, clone, my voice cloning, I'm not 100% trustworthy on that it's completely there. So I check it. So I need to check my results coming out of a Gen AI. 
Now, if I have high trust, I don't need to check it as much, but that means I have low accountability. So um, I have made this mistake where I trusted something and accountability was high and, uh, and I blew it. I sent out an email that I had ChatGPT help me write. I didn't read through it all the way. I should have. And it said something um, offensive in there. Nice. Okay, so when I have high accountability, like I'm sending an email to my boss, high accountability, or an email to a customer, high accountability, my trust is lower, I need to validate and verify before I send it out. Now, this can be really hard because how do you know what Gen AI is producing is true? I, I've been asked that question several times. My answer to that is go check. Go check with another AI or check with a search engine. Find primary sources. If it's high accountability, you need to make sure it's completely accurate. Go ahead and do that. Okay. All right. The last one is data leakage. Now, the data leakage one, this one is really interesting. There was a case where um, people were using, it was uh, at Samsung, um, they were using a um, public generative AI and they were capturing meeting notes from one of their internal architecture meetings. And because uh, it was a, a meeting that was all in audio and video, and they said, well, we'll just use the Gen AI to capture all of our notes and produce them later. Well, the Gen AI was trained on that stuff. So now people were able to get some of that information out of the Gen AI by asking questions like, tell me uh, the latest um, architectural uh, uh, designs and techniques from Samsung. Boom, boom. Leaked, information leaked. Pretty incredible. Um, it's a very well-known case. You can go look it up yourself, right? So you got to be careful on data leakage. Make sure you're using the right type of Gen AI, whether it's public, private, or community. So best practices for implementing a generative AI or using one, first, to determine the best operating model, operating modality, validate the AI responses where accountability is high, collaborate between experts, legal advisors, and mission operations, make sure that you're not just going rogue on yourself. There, are, there can be some legal ramifications to this, so you got you to pay attention. Continuously monitor and assess the results coming out of the AI system. Is it leaning you? Is it dragging you to its bias? You've got to check these sorts of things. Establish a framework for responsible AI use in your organization and evaluate the ethical guidelines and principles for generative AI applications and take a look at what's going on in the world today on legal and compliance. I hope that you found this interesting today. Um, this is a, a really cool field. I think it's going to explode. That's why I've been focusing on uh, the series, Embracing Generative AI, and I hope to see you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, Give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.